couple of moments, I'm going to read you some words from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11. But before I do that, I want to help us um, get ready for those words of Christ by thinking about our own lives. You know, all of us are tempted every week to be defined by the production that we, um, that we, what do you want to say? All of us are tempted to define ourselves by what we produce each and every week, by uh, being better than someone else. We're always tempted and fall into that. And when we come to worship, we are being reminded that Jesus offers us so much more than anything that we could ever produce. What Jesus offers us is a life of rhythm, a life of rest and work, a life where the work that we do for him, the life that we do during the week, isn't ultimately what defines us. And a rest that doesn't mean that we just want to be more lazy. What Jesus offers us is really life with him. Hear these words from Christ and take them as literally as you possibly can. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you look with you this morning in Exodus chapter 20, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn there. The verses I'm going to read are also printed in your bulletin. Um, You might remember that we're going through the Bible together this year, and so We're plugging along as we get through Exodus. Last week, John Paul talked to us about Exodus 12, and this week we're going to look at Exodus 20. And before I read the first 21 verses to you, I wanted to give you somewhat of a roadmap for the entire year. So you already know we're going through the Bible. Uh, I've said if you want to know the passages we're going to look at each week, feel free to email me and I will send those to you. Uh, Many of you have, and I'm happy to keep that going if you ever get a hankering and want, want to know where we're going, I'm happy to provide that for you. But here's another roadmap. If you remember these three numbers, I think you'll be able to get this whole year, and you'll see how we work it out for the whole year. Three, four, five. So if you want to understand this whole series, remember those numbers, three, four, and five. Three represents three loves. Love God, love people, and love the place. That's what we find in the first two chapters of Genesis. It's always been from the beginning that God has a plan for us. He has a mission for us. Loving him, loving others, and loving the place where he's put us is what he's always intended for us. It's how he's intended us to live out his glory. Four, four-part story. Remember this? Mm, we're sleepy this morning. It's okay, I am too. Four-part story. What are the four parts? What's the first part? Creation. Rebellion, redemption, restoration. Yes, four-part story. So as we look through the Bible, we'll see those four things play out as we understand God's story. Five threads. Five threads. These are all taken from Genesis 3, and we'll work those out all the way through Revelation 22. These five threads. Here's thread number one. God has always had a people He is always building his church. You can see it in Genesis 3 all the way through the end of Revelation 22. God has a people. He's always building his church. Second thread. Evil is real. 
but it never gets the last word. Evil is real, but it never, ever gets the last word. The third thread, grace. Grace. When we say grace, what we mean is that God initiates, pursues, saves. God initiates, pursues, and saves. Four, he did it. Jesus accomplished something. Through his death and resurrection, he is victorious. He did it. So the all of Scripture is telling us that Jesus did something. He was coming to do something. The significance of what he's done. And finally, the fifth thread is this. Everything is moving toward Jesus. Everything is moving toward Jesus. Happy to repeat those. I'm sure we will over the coming weeks. But if you get three, four, five, you'll understand what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the year. So hopefully that three, four, five gives you a little bit clearer roadmap of what's going on, what we're thinking about, what we're mulling over, what we're thinking about each week with each passage. So Revelation, excuse me, Exodus 20. Fast forward there at the end. Sorry about that. Exodus 20, the first 21 verses. Listen to this. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these words. Thank you for your commands. Thank you that they are telling us something about our lives, what's going on inside of us, how we're engaging with our jobs during the week and our family, our friends. Your word here is explaining all kinds of things about 
what goes on within us every day. So we ask, Holy Spirit, you would bring us to Jesus and help us to find him beautiful, believable. Help us to find him compelling and hopeful. If we do pray in your name, Jesus, amen. There's one clear message that God is giving us in Exodus 20. There's one message as we read these commands and read these first 21 verses together. There's one message, and it's this. This is what God wants us to know. He is saying to us, give yourself to me because I have given myself to you. If you want to know the one thing of this passage, that's it. God is saying to us through these commandments, through these 21 verses, he's saying, give yourself to me because I have given myself to you. Clear? Got it? So that's what I'm going to try to show you in this passage. So we're going to start with give yourself to me. It's what God's saying to you today. It's what he says to me today. It's what he says to us every day. Give yourself to me. Now, when we begin to explore that, I want to say something and address an issue right from the get. And this is what I want you to think about. I know, I'll say it this way, the Ten Commandments are not busy work. And my assumption is that all of us hear these commandments and we immediately think busy work. And that's because many of us have grown up in contexts in which the Bible is viewed as an instruction manual. The Bible is viewed as a list of instructions, especially Exodus 20, especially the Ten Commandments. And it's not viewed as a story. And therefore, when we hear the Word of God, whether it's the Ten Commandments or other passages of Scripture, we naturally think, what are the rules? Now, let me tell you how that plays out in our lives. (sighs) Can anybody resonate with the reality that I want to know where the line is. You know the line mentality? What's the line? Because I don't want to cross it. You know that? You're in relationships, whether they're dating or whatever it is, and you want to know, okay, what's the line where physically if I cross that, I've gone too far? Tell me the line, right? We naturally think about instruction and rules, and one way that we think about rules is tell me the line so I don't cross it. We all think that way. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, If that's the way you view the Ten Commandments, then you're looking for the line so that you won't cross it, which means you won't sin, which means you don't need Jesus. So the essence of that mentality of looking at everything and wanting to know the line is that if you know the line, you will try not to cross that line, which means you will not sin, which means you won't need Jesus which means you figured out a way to live your life apart from Christ, and the more that you grow, the less you need him because you know all the rules, and you never cross the line. Sound familiar? That's a lot of our background. Here's another way that we think about rules. Oh, I want to know the line because I want to cross it. There is part in each of us that when we hear the line or someone tells us a rule, we immediately think, I'm going to break it. Now, with my kids, and I can guarantee you I was this way with my parents, when my kids were learning to walk and run and climb stairs and all that, you remember that time? I remember looking at my children at the bottom of the stairs and saying, Owen, no, you don't go up the stairs. 
don't do it. And I remember him looking at me and climbing the stairs. You know what I'm saying? You know what it's like in your life to know the rules and then immediately think, oh, I'm going to break them. And I'm going to break it because I know how I can make myself happy. I don't need these rules. I don't need God in my life to make myself happy. I want to do whatever I want because I don't need God to make myself feel fulfilled or feel happy. So anytime someone imposes a rule on me, I'm going to break it because I can do what I want. And I can get what I want by doing what I want. Say this on the front end because... None of us think of, consistently, the Bible being a story. And the laws that we have, especially here in the Ten Commandments, are actually expressing God's heart. And so if we're going to understand the commandments, on the front end, I know that all of us like rules for different reasons. Either we don't want to cross it or we're going to cross it. And I want to say, I want to show you something way different than that. Because I don't want you to leave here thinking, I know the rules, I'm not going to cross the line, or huh, I'm going to cross all of them. I want you to see the law of God in a much different way, a much better way, a much truer way to the story of Scripture. So the law of God, when God says, give me your heart, he wants us to understand that the law is actually expressing his heart. Let me make sense of that as best I can. The law of God, these Ten Commandments, are expressing God's heart by showing us that he is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. So let me run through these quickly. Commandment number one, have no other gods before me. God is saying, I am sovereign over your allegiances. No matter where your allegiances are, whether it's your boss at work or your spouse or your friends or your family, God trumps all your allegiances. He wants complete, exclusive, he wants you to be completely and exclusively aligned with him. He is sovereign over all allegiances. Two, don't make any graven images, it's talking about worship. God is sovereign over worship. It means he tells us how to worship. He is sovereign over everything regarding worship. We might adore a lot of things, respect a lot of things, but God alone is due worship. Three, and nine, talk about God's sovereign over words. The third commandment is don't take my name in vain. God is sovereign over our words toward God. And commandment number nine is don't bear false witness, where God is saying, I'm sovereign over your words about other people. So he's sovereign over our words. Commandment four, the Sabbath, he's sovereign over time. He owns it all. He owns everything. He's sovereign over Five, he's sovereign over authority, whether that's your family, whether that's your boss at work, whether that is our government officials, God is sovereign over every authority such that no matter who is in authority, no matter if you're in authority, I'm in authority, whatever, the only legitimate authority is the authority that reflects God because every authority has been given by God, and they are accountable to God. He is sovereign over authority. Six, he is sovereign over life. He gives it, he takes it away, he is sovereign over life. Seven, God is sovereign over our sexuality. 
He is sovereign over sexuality. He authored it. He prescribes it. He explains it. It's a gift. He owns it all. He's sovereign over sexuality. Eight, he is sovereign over our possessions. He owns everything about us. He owns everything. Ten, he's sovereign over our desires. The tenth commandment is not coveting, not desiring something of someone else or to be like someone else or to want something that someone else has. God is sovereign over our desires, which means we need to bring all of our desires to God and understand them in light of the story of God, creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration, so that he's sovereign over all of our desires. Now, in expressing, the commandments expressing the heart of God, it doesn't just show us that he's sovereign. It also shows us something else. You see, if the commandments are expressing to us and illustrating for us the sovereignty of God, this is why Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. Jesus came to show us the true meaning of the law and to deepen our understanding of God's law. This is why when Jesus was asked about God and a relationship with him, this is how Jesus answered that. He summarized everything by saying, love God and love your neighbor. Sorry, I figured you all were going to speak up there. Jesus says, love God and love neighbor. Because when you break down the Ten Commandments, many of them are talking about our relationship with God. and The rest of them are talking about our relationship with our neighbor. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And if you go back through and read the gospel accounts and read the New Testament, we looked at many of this, much of this last summer with the Sermon on the Mount, you'll understand and find out more and more about how Jesus deepens the commands and helps us understand the commandments. Let me just give you a little sample. When you read the gospel accounts, you'll find that Jesus says things like this about the first commandment, have no other gods before me. Jesus talks about it positively. He says, love God with all of your mind, soul, heart, and strength. What it means to have no other gods before him is that we love God with all that we are. He doesn't get a portion of us. He gets everything. That's what the first commandment's talking about. When Jesus talks about worship, if you look in John 4, he's dealing with the woman at the well, and he says, the time is coming in which it doesn't matter the place. You'll worship in spirit and in truth. He's deepening the commands because God is meant to be worshipped everywhere throughout the world. When Jesus talks about family, the fifth commandment, he actually says, who is my brother and sister, mother and father? He actually says, if you love me, you have to love me more than your mother and father. And all of us understand this, right? I'm sure that you have examples of things in your life in which if you love God and are serving God, it causes tension in your family. Because your family can't be first. God is first. See, Jesus is expanding and deepening our understanding of the commandments. When he talks about life, you know what Jesus says? I am life. You know what life is? Come to me. You want to understand more deeply about life? You're only going to find it when you lose your life. Because if you lose your life, you'll find it. Life comes through death. That's his own pattern, and that's the message of the gospel. When you think about sexuality, Jesus says things like, 
If you lust for someone, you have committed, violated the second commandment in your heart. It's not just an outward thing. It's an inward reality that Jesus is making sure we understand about the commandments. Otherwise, we might understand the commandments as the rule and an outward rule. And if I don't cross the line, I've kept that rule. And Jesus wants us to understand, oh, no, it's far deeper than you could imagine. If you lust for someone in your heart, you have violated this commandment. You've broken it. When he says, do not steal, even says, or do not murder, do not steal, he's saying things like, if you look for someone and you harbor hatred in your heart, it's the same thing. You've murdered them. When you think about possessions, Jesus would say, everything, everything that you have comes from me. When you think about bearing false witness, Jesus would say, let your yes be yes. And your no, no. When you speak, speak with integrity. If you don't know, say you don't know. If you say yes, mean it. If you say no, mean it. Desires? Jesus says that they all are rooted and pure desires are rooted in being connected with him. So that Jesus gives this sample of how he deepens everything, helps us understand everything. All that is to say this. The law of God expresses God's heart. He's sovereign. That's why Jesus doesn't do away with it. And it's why the law itself defines sin and holiness and love. And that means that we ought to, take, we ought to be able to take any of the commandments and understand how they're talking to us about sin, talking to us about holiness, and talking to us about love. Let me give you just a couple examples if I can. Hang in there. Think about sexual intimacy. And think about how does God's word there talk about sin and holiness and love? Well, you see, God has given sexual intimacy to a man and a woman. It's set apart for a man and a woman. That means that sexual intimacy itself is by definition holy. It's set apart for a man and a woman. And even more than that, it's set apart for a man and woman who have vowed together. Because you see, in the Bible, intimacy always follows commitment. And if you're really in love with someone, what that means is that you're willing to commit to them. You are willing to take vows to them. And when that happens, you see, that's when sexual intimacy makes sense. So that it's not just holy and set apart. It actually is an expression of love. And you see, whenever we think that we can fulfill our, our sexual desires outside of a vowed commitment between husband and wife, this is why we feel shame and guilt. It's why things don't really work. It's, why, it's because we're not built to have sexual intimacy outside of a committed relationship. This is why if that's ever happened in your life, you feel as though you've just like absolutely given yourself away and now there's just nothing to show for it. Sexual intimacy and sex itself is not 
a bargaining chip. It is not a commodity to be purchased or bought or traded. It's a holy thing that expresses love. And anything outside of that, it just destroys. Here's another one. When you think about the fourth commandment and rest, remember each commandment should show us holiness and love and, sorry, I forgot the third one, sin. Thank you. Sorry. Think about the fourth commandment. So when you rest, when you actually say no to something and pull back, when you say no to something and actually rest physically, we'll just talk physically for a moment. When you rest physically, you not only are loving God, you are loving yourself. You are actually affirming that you have limitations. And when you say no to things and you rest, you're actually expressing love to God, love to others, and even loving yourself appropriately. And when God says, here's how you're made, work six and rest one, and the Sabbath is holy, we already know that resting one day out of seven is holy. So that if we want to not only understand how the commandment is showing love, the commandment also shows it is holy because it puts us into a rhythm of life. And that rhythm is patterned after God's rhythm, where he worked six and rested one. So that if we try to work ourselves to death, derive all of our identity from our work, or if we are lazy and we really don't want to work at all, you see, we're sinning. Because God made us to work. But he didn't make us to work in such a way that our work becomes our identity, in which we become workaholics. Nor did he create us so that we could work a little bit but just be lazy the other times. There's a balance. And every commandment shows us sin and righteousness and love. You see, what God is doing in all these commands, if you'll think about them and think about your life, I want you to realize that God is actually inviting you to give everything you are to him. See? He's saying, give me your time. Give me your resources. He's saying, give me your sexuality. He's saying, give me your friendships. Give me your words. He's saying, give me all that you are. He's inviting us to give him everything, all of our desires. He's inviting us to give him everything because this is how we were made. If you want to say it this way, to understand God's commandments and to receive his invitation to follow them and listen to them and be shaped by them means that we are learning how to love and live a loving life. Because apart from following the commands and understanding the commands and understanding God's invitation, love is going to look some, like something else, something much more self-centered. And not only that, but this invitation is so powerful because we all have idols, all of us. You know, an idol is the thing in which we find worth and value. So if you think about your life and think, I feel valuable when I have fill in the blank. I know that my life counts for something when I do fill in the blank. Or on the other side, 
my life, I am, I am devastated if I don't get, or I feel absolutely worthless if I can't do fill in the blank. You see, think about the problem underneath your problems. That's idolatry. We all have something or many things that tell us where we ought to find value and worth or where we should feel devastated that are apart from God. Let me give you some suggestions about what you can fill in that blank. Power. Some of you might think, I feel alive and that my worth, that my life means something, that I'm worth something when I have power. If I lose that power in my relationship, if I lose that power at work, if I lose that power in whatever it is, then I'm just devastated because I can't believe that I don't have that power. Maybe it's accomplishments. So if you're continuously accomplishing and and going upward and onward, and, and if you're just accomplishing this and this and this, you feel like your life is worth something. But if you're not accomplishing something, you feel devastated. It means that maybe accomplishments... And accomplishing things is an idol or approval. I know that my life is worth something if this person approves of me. And if this person doesn't approve of me, then I am devastated. It means that maybe approval is one of the chief idols of your heart. And we could go on and on. Helping people. This is an idol for me. I love to help people. Even though I'm learning more and more that I can't fix things. I do love to help people, and I love to feel needed. So it means a lot for me when people feel like they need me. Does that make sense? And now I'm at the point where I realize, man, in the size church we have, I can't help everybody. And even if they wanted to express their need of me, I can't even meet that. And I have to be fine with that, right? I have to learn how I am not Jesus Wanting to help people can be an idol. Maybe it is for you like it is for me. Matter of fact, I'll even go further. Ministry and my job itself has been in my life an idol for me. My job can be very consuming, all-consuming. I can work 24 hours a day and never do everything that needs to be done. But when things in my job get really heavy, when things get complicated, when things get difficult... Let me tell you, it wrecks me emotionally. And when that happens, that means that I'm not quite the father that I should, to be my, should be to my children, and I'm not quite the husband I should be to Jenny. It means that my job is such an important thing in my life that I let it take everything from me, and I have nothing left for my own family. All under the guise of serving God, right? Feeling good about that. Ministry can be an idol for me, and I have to learn to admit that. I have to learn to recognize that. I have to learn to deal with that. So all of this about God saying, give yourself to me, is really important because he's inviting us to give all that we are to him because he knows that we all have idols and we struggle. And here's why God says, give yourself to me. Look at the first two verses. Because I have given myself to you. Look at how it begins. This is really, really important. 
If you want to get away from thinking about the Bible as an instruction manual, if you want to get away from the idea of thinking, here are the commands so I know where to, where the, what the line is and I don't have to cross it, or here are the lines and I'm sure I'm going to cross all these. If you want to think about God's word in a much different way, start here. God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Did you notice that? God is expressing that he has given himself to them, to us. I am your God. I have done this for you. You were in bondage and you were enslaved and I brought you out. I delivered you from all of that. And the reason why he can say in verses 3 through 21 is here are the commands and, and here's how I want you to live. And how he can invite us to give all that we are to him is because he's given us everything. This is why the order is so important. We can never obey the commands and keep the commands properly until we understand that God has redeemed us. Until we understand that God is the God who delivers us. You realize that this original audience would have never, ever thought, never, ever thought on this day. They never would have thought, oh, thank you so much, God, for these commands because these commands are my ticket to deliverance. God had just brought them out of Egypt. They never would have thought, oh, great, thank you so much for these 10 rules, and if I just follow them, then, then we can keep relationship with you and we can earn our relationship with you. They never would have thought that. They were overwhelmed with everything that God had done for them. Now, it didn't take long before they started thinking, what's the line, God? Oh, God, I want to cross that. Or this is the line, Psh, I don't want that. Didn't take long. But here, right here in Exodus 20, they knew that God had done everything for them because he changed their entire lives. They had a whole new routine. They had a whole new life. They weren't having to live every single day producing, producing, producing for their existence. They didn't have that anymore. They even belonged. They didn't really belong in Egypt with those people. They belonged to God. And they understood that God had done everything for them. Now, because I know there's so much confusion about what does a relationship with God look like, and, and because John Paul talked last week about how all of us have a tendency to have an underdeveloped understanding of sin, and because oftentimes in our lives, hearing about Jesus and his death and resurrection maybe just is too familiar, I want to try to wrap all of this up with an illustration. And hopefully this will make things tie together and make sense. I want you to imagine if you would, that you are a single parent. And as a single parent, you have one child. And when that child is very young, you train that child and teach that child and tell that child over and over, all that I have is for you. I am going to provide for you to have the best education I possibly can. I'm going to provide all of your needs so that when you go through your educational tract and when you get a job, I want you to work hard and I want you to care about people around you. And what if, as that single parent, you were able to provide all of that for your child? And they grow up, great education, good job. They enter into a career, enjoy what they're doing. They're working hard and they're caring for other people. 
I bet at some level you would feel a wonderful sense of accomplishment. But what if I told you that that child that you had never, ever called you, communicated with you, or visited? My hunch is that you would think, oh, wait a minute here. My child works hard. My child cares about people. My hunch is you might think, but my child has forgotten that I have given everything for them. And what I want you to understand is that sin is when we do the right thing but have no relationship with God. Or sin is when we have a relationship with God, but yet we don't care about doing the right thing. Sin is always trying to do one without the other. Relationship and what God has done, what you did as a single parent for your child, what God has done predates all of your goodness. So that the parent, God, sacrificed for you and me through Jesus. Jesus came to live the perfect life and do what we couldn't do. He endured the punishment that we deserve. He bore the wrath of God. He did it all so that we would receive what he has done and live it out. That's the gospel. You see, this whole thing is about Jesus He is the one that's pictured here in all of his obedience. He shows us the heart of God. And not only that, but by the working of his spirit, we actually become more like him. We actually get to the point slowly, ever so slowly, of realizing how much God loves us. And that he has done everything for us. So that we want to obey because we have a relationship with him. Because we see Christ defines everything for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the good news about what you have done. We thank you that you lived and died for us. That we might know the love of the Father. We pray that you would help us to not see the commandments as uh, rules to break or ways to avoid you. But We ask that you would help us to see these commandments as things that you are working into our character, ways in which we are affirming that you, Father, are sovereign over everything about us. You define who we are. And we know all this is by grace for your glory. I pray. Amen. Hear this blessing from God. What I'm going to tell you has been bought by the blood of Jesus. It will come true. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a mighty God and he will save you. This week he will not only rejoice over you with gladness, but more than likely he will quiet you with his love. And in the age to come forever and ever, when heaven and earth are made new, he will exult over you, over us with loud singing, because our Christ is alive. Amen. Go in his peace.